Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are back together in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio getting ready to record episode number 236. Got a really good show lined up for you this week. In our warm-up segment, we're going to talk about our City of the Week, Player of the Week, Equipment Tip of the Week, have an interesting Did You Know, a fun listener question, and of course, Paige's Power Play. In our lead-off topic, we're going to talk about Something that uh, we know is a factor in helping players learn to play the game at a higher level, and that's instincts and helping them overcome instincts that they have because some of those instincts don't necessarily mesh very well with playing the game of softball. In our cleanup topic, we're going to talk about a a post that I stole from uh, Tom House, a world-renowned pitching coach who uh, talked about growth of of all of us as coaches and things that we should all be thinking about as, uh, as we develop our coaching skills. And then in our coaching tip of the week, Uh, We're going to talk about something that kind of dovetails in with what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about the idea that quiet teams are losing teams. Well, now we're going to talk about redirecting some of the noise into a more positive and more uplifting, more productive uh, range. So before we get into all those fun topics, let's talk about our sponsors. First, the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus 9 rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. It's a great way for you to save a little bit of money on a great bat and also help support everything fast pitch at the same time. So to go along with the idea of supporting everything fast pitch at the same time, uh, patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. We are hitting a lull, folks, where uh, we haven't added a, a patron here for a few weeks. Um, one of the things that uh, you know, we, we have talked about it ad nauseum now for the last couple of months, uh, we need to get to the point where this podcast is a break-even operation. And for that to happen, we're going to need some more people to come on board and support us if you can. It's uh, uh, 5 10 or $20 a month. I know people, I think, sometimes are skeptical. I promise you, Don and I have made $0 off of the podcast business. You know, we got into it thinking hopefully someday um, Nike or somebody like that was going to go, hey, these guys are geniuses. Let's buy their podcast. But that hasn't happened yet. Right. And so we're going to talk about uh, you know, trying to keep this podcast alive and, and Coach Prep alive. The only way that that's going to happen for the long haul is if more people decide to support us. So if you're in a position where you can, please go to patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. It's really easy to sign up, and we definitely need the help. We are looking for more people to come on board as patrons or advertisers. Um, if you're in a position to do either, please make sure you reach out to us. Don, our warm-up segment is sponsored by Bidinger and Styles DDS. They're located in Webster, Mass. Uh, they are very strong supporters of this podcast. If you're in a position uh, in that area where you need dental care, make sure you check out the folks at Bidinger and Styles DDS. So, Don, our City of the Week this week is Defiance, Ohio. Defiance, Ohio. And as we uh, talked about that, we looked it up and they're in the northwest section of Ohio. Yeah, I know uh, um, Ohio is one of those places that I've been a handful of times. It's really kind of an unusual set of circumstances. But as uh, my college coaching career unfolded, it was just not an area that I went to very often. Um, and when I was coaching in Wisconsin, and we really focused on the Wisconsin kids and the Chicago area kids. When I was coaching in Tennessee, we were you know, really focused on the Tennessee kids, and then obviously the Atlanta kids, the kids from the South more, and every once in a while a kid from California. So I just never um, really had a chance to do a whole lot of recruiting in Ohio, but obviously there's a lot of great softball being played there, and there's some really strong travel teams, travel organizations uh, uh, in the state of Ohio, and obviously we're always excited to see uh, the numbers jump in an area. So the folks in Defiance are doing a good job of spreading the word about everything fast pitch and coach prep getting people uh, that are fast pitch fans to jump on and, and listen to the podcast. And certainly we're always asking you to do that. So, you know, if you have friends that are fast pitch people that are not already listening, make sure you reach out to them and tell them about what we got going on. You know, we're easy to find any of the places where you can find a podcast. You're going to find everything fast pitch. And uh, we would certainly love to see the numbers continue to grow. 
Yep, we want to try and keep that. That's exciting, Tori, when we get a new group like that or a new area. Right, and, and anytime we see the numbers jump, you know, 100, 150, 200% some, in an area. Somebody's some, helping and so, doing so, it. Yep. So, somebody did something. It didn't just happen accidentally. Yeah. You know, I think we always do get a, a little bit of that randomness of somebody's just searching for a fast-pitch podcast and they find us. Uh, but when the numbers go up in a big way, it's because somebody's doing some work. Awesome. All right, so our player of the week this week, Don, is Scarlet Broadway. And Scarlett is a six and under player. She plays for the Roswell Crush, 6U Green. And uh, her coach is a good friend of ours, David Moore, way back in the day. We're excited to kind of reconnect with David. David uh, helped a lot at Kennesaw State when we had many good, exciting, successful, fun years. And uh, David was a big part of that. Nice that he's actually got a, a younger daughter that's involved in fast pitch now. And it's his turn to to do the coaching part of it with all the rest of us. That's yeah, going to be fun. It's fun to see. But he had a lot of great things to say about Scarlett. Obviously, at that age, we're talking about uh, a different level of enthusiasm, a different level of passion that the kids are bringing to the game. You know, but David mentions in his in his nomination, while it's coach pitch, that there have been a couple of times that she basically knocked him off the mound. You know, kind of scared him a little bit uh, because she was hitting the ball hard, and that. Uh, you know, she's one of those kids that uh, just works really hard, loves the game, and has a really bright future. And so um, we're excited that uh, David wanted to nominate Scarlett, and we're very proud to say that Scarlett Broadway is the Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week. That's awesome. Um, we uh, are starting to get a few more nominations again. You know, I think we kind of go on this roller coaster ride down from, from week to week and month to month sometimes, where we basically have a call to arms where I beg people and, and kind of guilt them into thinking about it. And then all of a sudden the nominations start rolling in. And then you know, we get uh, four or five, six weeks in a row where we get a lot, you know, get nominations, and and we have kids that you know, we're happy to recognize and happy to give the pat on the back to, and then uh, it it kind of dries up periodically. So right now we want to keep the momentum rolling. Yep, um, keep keep it coming because we'll we'll keep them in the hopper, right? Right, and and you know, as we said, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we've got you know thousands of people listen to this podcast every week. So when we have a week where we get zero nominations for Player of the Week, it's just kind of aggravating. You know, yep. I mean. Somebody out there, everybody's passing it on, yeah, right? Uh, somebody out there who's listening knows a player who deserves to be recognized because we're not talking about just the amazing kids who are throwing no hitters or hitting three home runs in a weekend or hitting 700 for a tournament. You know, we want to recognize those kids, obviously. We also want to recognize the kids that are doing a great job in the classroom that are, you know, go getters and, and work really hard. You know, a kid like Scarlett. You know, we're not talking about the fact that she hit her first over-the-fence home run or threw a perfect game, but she's the kind of player that we're happy to, to recognize because they love the game, they're playing the, for the right reasons, they're doing the things that, that we, we like to support. If you want to make a nomination, it's really easy. You just send us an email to fastpitchprep at gmail.com or everythingfastpitch at gmail.com, and then uh, Coach Don and I would love to you know, be able to keep recognizing players. I mean, we're going to send them a Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week t-shirt, and uh, I know it brings a smile to my face every time somebody who's uh, been a recipient walks into our facility wearing one. Um, I know, Don, you have the same reaction yep. when it happens here. When you know, a kid sends back a picture of them wearing it, uh, you know, the excited look on their face, it just means a lot. So, again, make sure, make sure you send us those nominations, everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. So, Don, our equipment tip of the week, let's talk about the Square Cuts training disc. Oh, again, Tori, uh, you know, we use them every week. They've been a great, uh, exciting, different product for our kids to hit here. And, you know, most of the time it's kind of a, out of interest. It's like, you know, what are these? And, and they want to check them out. They want to hit them and see. And once they do hit them and, and don't get the exact feedback that they want, they are excited to keep trying. And that's what we're looking for is a way for them to figure out when they do take a great cut. And this is a good product for them to be working with. Everybody needs a set. If you don't have them, you need to get them. If you've got a, a special coach that you want to do something neat for, I think they'd be really excited to get a set of these at some point. Yeah, well, I think uh, as we head into the holiday season, you know, planning for that uh, coach's gift is always something that's challenging. I know I periodically see that as a thing on uh, on some of the Facebook groups that we uh, that we post in that people are you know desperately looking for an idea for a coach's gift. Um, I know I mentioned last week that I'd be much happier to get something like a set of square cuts training discs that I can use to make my players better and to you know help me do a better job coaching than I ever would get in a, a gift card to, uh, or another clipboard. Right. You yeah. know, I mean, some of those things. Uh, and obviously. You know, everybody likes their coffee. Everybody likes, you know, being able to, you know, get a free meal, something like that. But 
I think it's really much more meaningful if it's something like a set of square cuts training discs that you can use to you know, to continue to become a better coach, have a better team, and, and help your players have more success. So they're really easy to order. You go to the fastpitchprep.com website. They're $49.95 a dozen. We've got them here in stock. You know, they've been going out at a pretty good clip lately. Um, so I think, uh, we, as we've talked about, we're hitting that point where there's enough of them out there, enough people are using them that the energy behind the idea of more people wanting them is growing. But so we've got plenty of them here. We want to get them sent out to you right away. Again, $49.95 a dozen. You go to the fastpitchprep.com website, click on the front page. There's an order button. It'll take you through the steps and we'll get them out to you right away. So Don, did you know, this one kind of ties into last week's did you know. Last week we talked about how name, image, and likeness was going to be a big topic for college softball and college athletics. Well, this week, to add to the did-you-know kind of (laughs) jaw-dropping discussion about name, image, and likeness, that Oklahoma State announced that they have put together a consortium of donors and people that want to support Oklahoma State softball to the tune where every player on the Oklahoma State roster is going to get an NIL deal in the at least five-figure range. At least 10 grand a kid. Wow. At least. And I think the reason that they put it in that kind of terms is because I'm sure the star pitcher or star mm. shortstop is going to end up getting a bigger slice of the uh, 50, pie. 50, 70, 80, 90. Right. You know, the whole keeping up with the Joneses, the rich keep getting richer, all that well, stuff that we keep talking is it, about. Isn't that what the NCAA does, is they keep it even for everybody, right? Well, the idea now that we're we're competing on a lo- anything close to a level playing field is the most ridiculous thing, most you know craziest idea ever. Tori, yeah. I'd like to get signed at a school that's going to give me money each year. Right. Well, and the thing that... Over and above. Right. The thing that uh, we, we've talked about, you know, uh, a, a bunch of times already is... I'm all for the players being able to to make some money while they're playing. You know, the old rules of they couldn't even have a part-time job while they were playing and stuff right. like that was always kind of ridiculous. You know, the fact that they couldn't sign an autograph or they couldn't give a lesson or they, you know, we had uh, one kid that played football when I was coaching at Tennessee Tech that ended up uh, becoming fairly famous. He won one of the on-TV uh, singing shows. I think it was The Voice a few years ago. Oh, wow. But when he was playing football at Tennessee Tech, he had to, you know, use a stage name and sneak around behind the the scenes to perform you know, and and to work on his music because he was not allowed to be paid to be a musician, right? While he was being a football player, because that could be, yeah, yeah, and and all that stuff, you know, seemed a little bit too much for me, a little bit too restrictive. But what we've got now with this momentum that's gaining. Uh, where NIL is becoming a tool to you know, ensure that your team's going to be better and, and, and to have the extra benefits and the extra money and the extra stuff to, to draw good players. And you know, I can't help but wonder how much of this is a direct re- reaction to the fact that we already knew Oklahoma has been doing a big deal and a lot of big deals with NIL to support their softball program. And now the keeping up with the Joneses, the arms race now between you know, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State is clearly part of what's going on here. It's not going to be something that every school is going to be able to do. You know, one of the people that's been involved in this consortium at, at Oklahoma State is a former player. Her and her husband have very successful in the business world, have, have created a sure, you know, the, the kind of situation where they are in a position where they can donate a large amount of money to support their school and their team. Again, that's a great thing, but the fact that we're now using it as a social media incentive so players know, well, hey, if I go to Oklahoma State, there's definitely going to be money for me if I go there. Well, what if there was a, another digit in that, too? You'd have the transfer portal, you know, exploding for kids possibly wanting to head that way. And I think that's why we talked last week about how the NCAA knows that this train is running downhill, it's rolling, there's no brakes. You know, it's like that movie with uh, Denzel Washington with the train that was you know, was unstoppable. Well, what's going on right now with NIL in, in all of college athletics is right now it's unstoppable. And if they don't stop it, we're going to end up with a very crazy situation where the rules basically don't mean anything, the, the scholarship limitations don't mean anything, and certain schools are going to be so light years ahead of what other people are in a position to do because it's getting to the point now where, you know, it used to be, you know, are you going to get to play for a great coach? Are you going to have a great facility? Are you going to fly instead of bus? Are you going to bus instead of van? You know, it was all those kinds of stuff were things that kids were were weighing in their decisions, but it wasn't, could I get more than a scholarship? 
Right. Well, now it's, can I get a full scholarship and, and, and how much more can I get? Like I said before, not every school is going to be in a position to do it. Even some high-powered, high-profile schools are not going to be in a position where they're going to be able to offer this same kind of a deal um, to their players, because unless you've got that driving force of a very successful alum or a very successful business person that loves fast-pitch softball, you know, the, the, the big money's not going to flock to softball the same way as it is to football and basketball. It's just one more layer on the did you know there's a whole lot of crazy stuff going on in the world of college athletics. Um, it's definitely hitting in the world of college softball. When the idea of NIL was first, you know, broached and it was, you know, kids, you know, could give ben- a lesson, you know, they could do a player, they could do a yeah. player clinic for themselves, they could run a camp for themselves, um, they could sign some autographs, you know, they could, you know, sell merchandise, you know, that kind of stuff that didn't strike me as being quite so crazy, Too but where we're headed now yeah. is, is, is out of control. And did you know Oklahoma State, uh, every player on their roster is going to get at least a five-figure NIL deal. That's pretty crazy, Tori. All right. So, uh, Don, our listener question this week comes to us from David. David's uh, email was very long, but I'm going to just try to summarize it for us as best we can. He was asked to help coach a team that his daughter plays on. He was a former baseball player and has coached some baseball, but new to softball. He was asked to help out because I think the coaches knew that he had some knowledge and would, would be beneficial. And now that he's involved, he's noticing and talking about a lot of things that he believes could be done better. You know, the team's kind of struggling. They're not playing very well. And so he's had a long list of things that he thinks they should be doing and adding and working on and adjusting and and probably changing. And now he's getting nothing but resistance from the coaches that were coaching already that, you know, that they basically, I guess, resistant to and antagonistic towards him for making these suggestions. And so I guess this might be one of those, be careful what you wish for, because you know the, the coaches clearly asked to bring in somebody who they thought would be knowledgeable and, and help them do a better job. But now that person who might be knowledgeable and capable of helping them do a better job is making it look like they didn't know for sure what they were doing to begin with. That's a tough one, Tori. And again, depending on how deep recreation this is or how competitive this is, might dictate how much we push to to make some of those changes. Right. If it's if it's really a, just a simple rec program, they might not be up for as many or as thorough a changes as he might be suggesting. Right. And obviously, he knows what it could be because he's been around it and just sharing, you know, the the ideas that he may have to propel the the group or the organization as quickly as possible to get them to the next level. Right. But if they're not as receptive, then I guess we kind of have to, you know, ease into some of those changes maybe to make it comfortable for right. the existing higher ups or whatever. Right. Well, what, what I would tell David, you know, I think that there's a balancing act. Obviously, I think he wants to be involved because of his daughter's, you know, involvement with the team. Um, did not say what level um, that they were playing at, but I think you're right that it's probably more recreation level than it is, you know, high level travel ball or anything like that. Yeah. But he's trying to figure out what should he do. And so, you know, I think, you know, there's some options. One, he could decide that he really just shouldn't be coaching in this situation because maybe his expectation or his goals for what he thinks is reasonable for this team to achieve might just not be a good match. So that's one option. He could tone it down a little bit and and try to find sort of a middle road between what he thinks they should be doing and what's realistic for them to you know to be doing at at this point in time or you know maybe a third option would be you know to understand that they're starting off from a very very you know fundamental you know maybe even flawed position slowly but surely try to implement a few things at a time so instead of coming in like a you know bull in the china shop trying to you know change everything all at once maybe it's come in with the idea of a better way to do throwing at the start of practice. Maybe it's a way to organize practice a little bit better. Maybe it's a better stretching program or warming up program or whatever it is. But I think if you come in with a list of you know, 15 or 20 things that are all not being done very well, I think most people are going to you know, going to recoil to that. Well, and I think you're right, Tori, on, on all those notes, because if it's exposed or shown that maybe they really didn't have a very good program to begin with, then it would be, wouldn't be comfortable for those that were already there. Right. And to ease into it, like you said, just slowly institute some new drills or new processes for practices and things like that. Um, if it happens gradually, 
then I think everybody will be more comfy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause I think if, uh, you know, in this situation, whoever's been the head coach and the established coaches, they're volunteering their time. There's no way that this is some sort of like paid position. They're or very whatever. giving. Yeah. And so yep. because they're, you know, kind of giving of their own time and, and efforts to, to be there to begin with, um, the idea of somebody else coming in and saying, oh, wait a second, you're doing everything wrong would be a little bit hard to, to take. Because my guess is the fact that they asked him to help means they already were a little bit shaky, you know, not sure how, how they were doing, not sure what they were doing was working. So they were looking for somebody to, you know, you know I guess, reinforce the positive and then help them adjust the negative. And I kind of get the impression from the way this is playing out that it ended up being more of, I'm going to come in and emphasize the negative. And I think people's feelings were hurt a little bit. So, And also, too, what do you think about this, Tori? If the changes that we were talking about came from those that were already in charge, and it was more of a, a quiet conversation or a quiet uh, sharing of uh, whether it's a drill or, like you said, the throwing drill. It's like, hey, why don't you present this to the team? And then you can refer to me or whatever after and, um, you know, I'll add to it, but I'll be like, you know, hey, Tori, that was really great. You know what you shared. And what do you think about this little extra piece here? And let it come from those who are kind of running things already. You know, anytime you talk about coaching staff dynamics, you have a lot of things, you know, to always try to pay attention to. And uh, when I first started helping with the travel ball team, good friend Bob Mosley was one of the other assistant coaches. We would sit around and, and you know have coaching discussions and talks and, and things pretty pretty regularly. And there would be times that you know that you know we would have very different opinions. You know, we'd have, you know, I don't want to say arguments, but kind of argumentative discussions about, you know, well, we should do this, we should do that, we should be doing things this way, we should be doing things that way. And at the end of the day, we always, you know, in our situation, able to, you know, to handle it, you know, I guess as maturely and as a adult like as possibly. Yeah. Um, Bob's message was always the same. When we would get done and a decision was made, it was always very simple. Okay, so this is our decision. We're all going to support it. And so we didn't have any of the, well, we're going to do it this way, but I don't think we should kind of stuff going on. And so even though we might not all be 100% on board with what we were doing, we presented the message to the players that we were 100% on board. Our head coach ultimately makes the decision, and all of us that are supporting him are going to support him, you know, once yeah. we've decided that this is what we're going to do moving forward. I think that would probably be my la- you know, my biggest piece of advice to David is to use the Bob Mosley system of, okay, we've talked it through. We don't necessarily have to always agree, but this was the decision that the head coach made. We and need so we're a going unified, to support it. Yep. We need a unified message. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and so I think, you know, there, there's a little bit of that that needs to be universal across teams, team or coaching staff dynamics. You know, I really do appreciate David uh, sending in the question because it's uh, and one of those things that you know, a lot of times we want to think about, you know, these rosy situations where, you know, you know, coaches all get along and coaching staffs all, all, agree. all click. They all um, agree. Yep. And we know that's just not, not realistic not in, in many, many yep. places. If you have questions that you would like to uh, send us, please do so at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. The same addresses we want you to use to send in your Player of the Week nominations. And we love getting ideas and suggestions because it helps us you know, direct our conversations, direct what we're doing to the stuff that you're really interested in. And so, David, thank you very much. Your uh, Everything Fast Pitch t-shirt's on the way to you. That's going to take us to this week's edition of Paige's Power Play. Hey, it's Paige here. I hope you're having a great week. I want to talk a little bit about how to help your athlete juggle school, sports, and life, all the things. As a past student athlete myself, I remember juggling all the things, school, homework, projects, extracurriculars, Games, practices, lessons, extra work, social life, family events. Like, it was a lot. Things got crazy, overwhelming, sometimes stressful. And here's the thing I remind the athletes that I get to work with. She is in charge, not mom or dad, her. Well, you are in charge, but (laughs) you get what I'm saying. She's capable of taking responsibility for what she's doing in her life. She can make the most of her time. Busy is not an excuse. Busy equals opportunities. She can balance a lot of things. She's capable of doing that. The way that you can help your daughter juggle all the things is with a plan. A plan creates confidence. So enforce using a planner or an agenda. In this week's mindset lessons, I'm teaching the girls the importance of using a planner and agenda and how to start with a to-do brain dump to help them relieve the overwhelm, stress, and like all those feelings that they're feeling and feeling like they're juggling a hundred things in their brains. 
and how to use that to-do list. So if you want your daughter to feel confidence in her life and as an athlete with a plan, schedule her for this week's mindset lesson. You can do that at my website, pagetons.com. I hope to see her there. John, I keep saying it. Paige is a rock star. And I'm hoping that our people are taking advantage of it. You know, the tidbits of information that she shares when she comes on the podcast every week are important. But if you have a player in your life that you want to see be more successful, be happier, be more prepared for softball and for the rest of their life, her program, her Confident Athlete program, is something that I cannot recommend strongly enough. If you're not doing it, I think you're really missing the boat. No, I think, Tori, if you're already a great player, this might just be that 1% or 2% more that, you know, that you're looking for that can get you through those tough moments. And eventually we're all going to be off on our own. We're going to be off at college or university and we're going to have to have ways to cope with things, you know, outside of our, our normal um, familiar routine. And she yeah. might be able to provide, you know, some of that uh, guidance for us. No, and, and I think it's one of those things that, uh, you know, sometimes we get caught up in the, well, I just don't have time to add one more thing. You know, I don't have the ability to add one more thing. Well, if your choice is not buying a new bat this year, but having a player who's much more confident swinging last year's bat, right? That feels a lot better with last year's bat because her mind and body are working together better. She's walking up to the plate feeling a whole lot more comfortable and confident and ready to perform. I would be willing to bet you everything I own that if that same player stays as unhappy and uncomfortable and lacking confidence and fearful as she was having the $500 bat is less useful than last year's bat would be if she had the opportunity to work through Paige's program. And, and so I was going to say, and Tori, we talk about it too. And it, even away from softball, walking into a business meeting, you know, 10 years from now and feeling more confident yeah. because, you know, you, you've worked through that process as an athlete. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's, I think that's, that's you know, gold. That, that, yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons why we always talk about we want our kids to get involved in yeah. athletics to begin with is so they learn all this stuff that's going to make them happier and better at the rest yeah. of their lives. Invest in it, people. I'm just telling you. It's, it's, Go check it, it out. Yeah, check it out. Page Tons, T-O-N-Z dot com. So, Don, our leadoff segment is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. Elite's located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is 678 0270. You can also contact them at Elite Sports Orders at yahoo.com. Bats, balls, gloves, spirit wear, uniforms, the whole nine yards. Reach out to the folks at Elite and they're happy to ship anywhere in the country. So, Don, wanted us to talk about something that I've been thinking about pondering on quite a bit as, uh, as I've been working with some kids this week. We all know that we have instincts. And one of the instincts that we all have is that when something gets close to us, we move away from it. Right. And to my way of thinking, that makes a lot of sense. If you're crossing the street and a car is bearing down on you, you should run away. If you're walking on the train tracks and you hear the whistle, you Cle should move out of the way. Clear yourself away. Yeah. Sure. If somebody's crowding you and, and bumping into you and you're uncomfortable with that, you should move away. But when somebody's pitching you a softball, the instinct of running away from it, moving away from it, dodging away from it is not the most productive combination of the instincts that we know we have and what we need to be able to do to be successful. And I want us to kind of talk about it. And it's not the only instinct that I think is really in play when it comes to the game of softball. Fear is one of those things that is a hard thing to overcome. And whether I'm afraid of the ball hitting me when it gets pitched, I'm afraid of the ball taking a bad hop when it gets hit. I'm afraid of catching it because somebody's throwing it harder and faster than I'm you know, comfortable to. with or yeah. used to. Yeah. The fear is real. But I want us to talk about the whole instinctive idea and ways for us to help players overcome those instincts as they're training, as they're practicing, to make sure that they can perform at a higher level. No, I think that's exciting for us to chat about because we've all seen it a bunch, and in, particularly with younger players. And at that point, many times the, the pitchers are wild. They haven't you know, honed in their skills to a point where they can be consistent. And when I get hit, it kind of hurts or it's different. Right. And, you know, especially when you see your teammate get hit and she's rolling around on the ground in pain too, it's like, oh, well, if she throws it near me. I'm going to get out of the way too. I'm going to be right. faster and, and not let it hurt me. But I think over time, you know, the, the confidence, and you mentioned that, the confidence that we get knowing that the pitchers are going to be more in the strike zone, that I am more prepared to accept a short hop when I'm fielding a ball or, you know, that I'm not going to get hurt if I do get hit, I, I will be okay 
tomorrow and might have a little bruise, but it won't, it'll be over. Right. Right. And I did help my team or whatnot. But, uh, you know, as we learn all those things, I think that we'll, we'll find a little bit more comfort and confidence, but I just get tickled as can be when you have the discussion with a young hitter or batter. And it's like, well, we really only want to hit the good ones. So we have to have movements in our swing that are appropriate to hit the good ones. And stepping towards third base for a right-handed batter is not going to help you right. hit the good ones. Yeah, you you don't want to hit the one that's about to hit you. You need to be doing something different at that point. Yeah, ha- so. Having having the happy feet in the box because <laughs> you're more prepared to run away from the ball than you are to hit it is not uh, not a good uh, yeah <laughs> recipe for success. So one of the things I hear all the time is, well, what are some drills? What are some things you can do? And and, and we're going to talk about the whole what are some drills thing uh, a thousand times before this podcast is done but to me it's it is training players to become more comfortable but we know for sure that it can be done because when you watch the college game now and especially when they changed the rule you know many years ago that you know the hitter was not obligated to try to move away for move out of the way of a pitch that was going to hit them you know back when we had the old you know did she try to get out of the way thing it led to so many arguments and so many discussions that probably couldn't count them all so the rule basically was changed to if the ball's in the batter's box and it hits you, you are not obligated to even you know try to move out of the way at all. Right. And you know we're seeing some college programs. You know Florida a few years ago that was one of their claims to fame was you know they set a record that might never be broken for the most hitters ever hit by pitch. And of course you know the uh, Evo shield and the body armor stuff that p- players were wearing was part of that whole discussion. But so we know players have been able to overcome the instinct of running away from the ball through training. And so depending upon the level and the age of the players, you know, I think obviously it's, it's a different discussion. You know, when a Florida hitter gets hit by a pitch, they're doing it as part of their team strategy because they want to get more people on base Base and they are, and and they are practicing it, working on it to make sure that if that ball comes inside, they stay in there, they, they take the hit. Even more crazy to me a few years ago, we would see hitters, you know, basically leaning into the ball and, you know, sticking their knee out and stuff like that to make sure they would get hit. So we know that we can overcome it. So how do we help players get more confident? Well, I would always start off with, especially with younger players, with something that's not going to hurt them as much as a real softball. So tennis balls, softies, wiffle balls, sock balls, whatever it might be, so that they can get used to that ball coming close to them and not being as afraid of the pain that they're going to feel. Or finding that they can actually elude that strike from the ball and hitting them and, right. you know, that they can, can get out of the way and still be preparing to hit well. Right. Well, and one of the things that's, you know, so crazy about it though, is you know, when you know, they're 10 and they dodge away from it, we think that, you know, that's okay. We're going to forgive them. But then all of a sudden there's going to be a point in their career where dodging and getting away from it's not acceptable because they're supposed to take it for the team. Right. The other part that I wanted to talk about this, you know, the whole instinct thing, where I think it's also really damaging and and hard for hitters, especially for hitters, that they treat a softball like it is a bus or a train or a truck coming at them. You know, they react the same way to a softball that weighs eight ounces as they do to a car or truck that weighs a couple thousand pounds. And so one of the things that I keep working on hitters trying to understand is that it's their job as hitters to become confident that they can overpower the ball. When that pitch is inside and they get jammed up and they don't hit it very well, part of it is physical. But a bigger part of it, in my opinion, is the mental part of it. I think a lot of pitches that jam hitters up, it's not that they physically can't hit them, is that they're so used to mentally giving up on it that they they just mentally get Check jammed. Out and, yeah, yep, they, 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 they jam themselves more then the pitcher really does something that's so amazing that they couldn't possibly hit that ball. Trying to get players to understand this idea of overpowering the softball when they're hitting it, driving through it no matter what, finishing through the ball no matter where the pitch is located. You know, obviously they all are comfortable with the pitch. It's you know, the middle part of the plate and the outside part of the plate because there's no instinct of fear. There's no instinct of that ball's you know, pushing in on me, so I have to run away from it. But that's something else that I think is is one of the missing ingredients is that we allow hitters to think it's okay or it's, it's, it's okay to give up on the ball when it jams them up a little bit. And I think that um, that's one of the things that uh, more and more hitters need to keep hearing is, yeah, that pitch is a little bit inside, but it only weighs eight ounces. And you can hit it. And you can power through it. You can hit it as long as you keep working on the idea of powering through the ball. And so just like the 
training my mind to stay in the batter's box when the pitch comes close, this training myself to stay in and take the hit if the pitch is going to hit me, you know, training myself to finish my swing and drive through the ball no matter where the ball is located is, again, something that I think we need to add to our list of things that our, our hitters and our players really need to be working on. And Tori, as you're describing and, and talking about that, I'm thinking back to just many, 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 many times that uh, batters will be swinging at a ball that likely would have hit them and they'll pull it foul. But they were so on and they were so into you know getting their cut that as that ball tailed in towards them, they were still ready to make contact and they hit it square, they hit it solid, they might have pulled it foul, but they protected themselves just fine and they you know hit the ball and stayed in there for the next pitch. Yeah, and, no, and I think that the whole idea of helping players overcome this stuff is something that's become really important because I think that the idea of pitchers constantly winning that battle is something that just aggravates the heck out of me. And, I, and obviously I know as pitchers get better, they pitch inside more because they like jamming hitters up. They like the one hopper to the third baseman. They like the easy outs that they can get when they pitch inside. But I think for us as hitters, we have to make up our minds that we're going to drive through that ball. We're going to fight harder to, to, you know, to still take a good swing, even though that pitch might feel like it's pressing in on me a little bit. I can overcome that instinct. And the other thing that we have to make sure of is that our players are not moving further and further off the plate so that they feel a little bit more comfortable hitting the inside pitch. Because then what they've traded off by moving further and further away is the ability to hit the pitches down the middle or the pitches on the outside part of the plate. And, Give and take. Right. Yeah. And, and those kids, I had one young player that I've been working with now for about a month, maybe six weeks. When we were working on the inside pitch, she didn't even realize she was doing it. But every time I would pitch one inside, she would move another inch off the plate and another yeah. inch off the plate, another inch off the plate. And she eventually got to the point where she was so far off the plate that pitches that were like right down the middle, she thought were a foot outside. And, and so I, a couple of times I said, well, point on the ground where you think that pitch was. And she would go all the way to the other batter's box and point to the ground and like, no, that pitch was right down the middle. And they look at you like you're, like you're, you know, like you're lying to them. Right. Like, no, I promise you, know, there's no reason for me to lie to you, but did you realize, look how far off the plate you are? Some of that stuff, I will let them kind of, you know, dig their own grave a little bit before I stop them. Work through you know, it, yeah. Because you know, I think, you know, the, again, the instinctive part of this, the human nature part of it is something that's always going to be a factor for us as we're working with players. In her mind, she thought, well, if he's going to pitch it inside, and I don't even know that it was a conscious thought. I'm not sure that she was like, well, forget this. I'm just going to keep moving further away. I think it might have just been the, you know, the instinctive movement to get further away from the ball. But all of a sudden, they, you know, they need to connect the dots to say, well, okay, but if I really do this, and I'm not even aware that I'm doing it, what's happening when she pitches me inside? You're just subconsciously giving more room, right? Right, and, and, or, or, they're, they're or backing, giving up. Yeah, they're backing you up like they're intending to. Right, and you know, the pitcher thinks they're in charge because they're out there and standing in that circle, but we got to make sure that they know that uh, when they throw it towards home plate, if they're dumb enough to pitch it inside, I'm hitting it a really long way. Right. Well, and eventually too, Tori, if, if we're able to do that and we're able to hit the balls that are, you know, even if they are balls, eventually at, at many levels, the pitchers are going to make a mistake and throw one that we can keep fair. Right. So, yeah. but not if we're constantly ducking, diving away from them and, and pulling off and, and taking those pitches, eventually we're going to get called out. Right. And, and if a hitter is, is willing to work hard at it, all of a sudden they start pounding that pitch that the pitcher thought was their easy out pitch then that changes the whole dynamic. They got to try something else. Yeah. Yep. All right, Don. So that's going to take us to our cleanup topic. Our cleanup topic is sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to be sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. It's a nutritious snack that every athlete should have in their bag of tricks. It will allow you to get a great snack, something that's healthy and nutritious, all natural, and goes a long way towards making a ball player a better one. And Tori, our listeners can get their... Pinnacle Power Butter at PinnaclePowerButter.com, and they can place their order there. Again, that's PinnaclePowerButter.com. If they use their promo code of EFP10, they can also get a 10% discount. And we're really excited that they're on board with us. Products are great. We've used them and tried them at home. The whole family loves it. And make sure you take advantage of the EFP10 discount. Again, it's a great way for you to help support everything Fast Pitch and save 10% on your Pinnacle products. Coach Don loves them. They're a big hit around his house. And uh, certainly we're happy that uh, they're part of the uh, everything Fast Pitch family. So Don, saw this post from Tom House, the world-renowned pitching coach. Uh, worked with throwers, 
baseballs, footballs, probably everything that you can possibly imagine throwing. Somebody that I've always respected a lot and read a lot of stuff that he's written. And he had a post, a tweet on uh, uh, Twitter the other day that uh, basically goes like this. If you coach long enough, you should learn so much that you never really teach anything you learned from your playing days. And I wanted to jump into that because I think that this is something that we all need to be pondering on. Now, I started coaching when I was still in high school. I coached my first game of fast pitch softball in 1976. So I've been doing this for a very, very, very long time. And I know I personally look back at what I used to teach and what I used to think of as cutting edge, you know, state of the art softball knowledge. And I look back now and I just cringe. It's like, it almost makes me want to cry to think that, you know, I used to really think that that stuff worked and that stuff made sense. And over time, as more people get involved, you know, more science gets involved, you know, now with video technology and, you know, stop action cameras and all this stuff that we have, you know, there's just so much more knowledge and so much more information available. The idea of us continuing to coach or teach the things that we used to teach, and again, depending upon the age statement, what he's talking about, if you coach long enough, which I mean, if somebody just finished their college career three years ago and they moved into coaching, for that person to be teaching the same things that they learned when they were playing makes sense. For somebody my age, at almost 62, if I was still teaching the same stuff that I learned from uh, Tom Groffenauer as a baseball player in 1975, I think something might be a little bit wrong with that picture. Yeah, no, I think, uh, Tori, that's a good point, and I like, the, I like the topic for sure. And I think we all have to be willing to change with the times a little bit and reevaluate. There's some things that I think are you know, steady and true, but there's definitely, like you said, through technology, through training, through drills, um, you know, there's things that, that can change and just because we change doesn't mean anything bad. Right. I don't think that just means that we're open to open to continue to learn and to grow. And I still, there's some things I'm going to hold on to pretty tight (laughs) because I believe them that much, but whether it's a, a training technique or a drill or things like that, I definitely want to try to be open to to not being that coach that holds on too long. Right. People are so set in their ways that they're so sure that their way of doing things is the only way. And to me, I think that's the trap that that we're talking about, making sure that we, we, we avoid. And that doesn't mean that everything that you believe in and everything that you did 20 years ago or 30 years ago or when you played is wrong. But it also means that the willingness to constantly evaluate yourself to evaluate what you're doing, to evaluate what's working, to look at what you know the players the, the, that you're working with now are capable of doing and, and, uh, and all these different factors that weigh in, that I think it's important that we be open-minded, that we're always looking for new things, looking for new ideas. And again, like I said, I, I, I think back on it all the time, you know, stuff that we worked on when I was coaching at UW Parkside and some of the drills that we did and some of the things that we emphasized you know, now to me, it's just like shocking that I really thought that was going to work now, but here's the flip side of it. Some of it did work, but did it work because the players were just really talented or did it work because it was, you know, the cut really was cutting edge knowledge at the time. And the fact that something that's better or might be better than what we did back then has come along. Does that necessarily mean that it was that bad or it's just not as good? You know, I mean, so it's, sure. a, it's yeah. this is one of those slippery slope, yeah, one of these slippery slope kind of discussions. And so some of the stuff that uh, I learned in, as a baseball player in 1975 might still be useful, but it might not be the only way or the best way to do it now, you know, with, with all the things that we've learned. And Tori, as you're talking about it too, I think that, uh, you know, over, over the time that, uh, that we've been coaching, the kids have changed too. Right. And the kids having changed means that I need to be a little bit different in the way that I share a drill or that I share a concept because it just, they're different. Yeah. And when I was being coached, it was because I said so, and that was good enough for me and I'm okay. Yeah. Well, that, one of the that things, was good. When I, when I look at softball now, when I first started coaching, softball was the little kids game. And when I mean little kids, I mean every player on my team was five, 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 four. There, there were not the big strapping athletes that we have now. You know, now I mean, I, I go out and work with fourteen and under teams, and every kid on the team is bigger than me. 
it's just kind of shocking to me how much that they have changed and grown over 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 the years. Well, and, and Stan's point was a really good one, Don. You know that because the technology has improved so much, stuff that we used to think we were doing or that we used to was think happening. was happening a certain yep. way, now that we can actually watch it and and slow it down to the point that you can see what's really happening. I guess what we thought we were doing and what was really happening were not necessarily always the same thing. So if if I told Jackie Aiken to to do something in her swing, we might have thought we were accomplishing something, but if I could have really seen what was really happening instead of what I thought was happening, I might have been on a whole different path to begin with. Yeah, no, I think that that's exciting too. Uh, I, I really do love the video part of it, can confirm things like you're saying now, and also too, uh, can bog us down. So I, I know right. we got to be cautious not to do too much with it, but well, and we're going to get to it, that in, in coach prep this week. It's, it's exciting that, uh, that we can slow things down like that. And who would have ever, you know, thought that we would be able to get that detailed and that slow, right? The cameras all have parents send pictures now of live games and things like that, that they're at the ballpark. And it's absolutely amazing. I mean, being able to toggle at the bottom of the, the picture. And, stop action. And, and when you stop action, you can really see what's yeah, happening. And I, I feel like I'm excited to get older, but I, I feel like it's passing me by a little bit. All right. But now I'm going to throw uh, the devil's advocate part of this out there. So, so nowhere has the game changed more, in my opinion, than Major League Baseball. And what we used to teach hitting or see as being taught for hitters in Major League Baseball versus what's being taught now with you know the emphasis on launch angle and all these different things. And I can't help but notice that for all the science and technology and things that we think our hitters are doing better at the major league level now than they did 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago, yeah. that I think right now there's five or six major league teams that the team batting average is like 225 or lower. How can this be? With all this newness and Technology. all this new improvement why is it true that there's so many of the i mean and, and there's no ifs ands or buts about it there's nobody more skilled at what they do on the planet than major league hitters hitters because they have nothing to do but spend their whole life on hitting if they can't hit and i, I know the pitching's better more velocity everybody's got throws 100 miles an hour but the idea is that as the pitchers are all throwing 100 miles an hour, these hitters who keep getting better, supposedly, should be able to hit it more. More bat speed, more, and, yep, yeah. And, technical. And, and, and I know Aaron Judge is having you know, one of the world's most amazing years, you know, and that uh, he's setting a record for the most home runs. He's in a position to maybe win the Triple Crown in, in the American League this year. But watching somebody strike out that much is still really aggravating to me. <laughs> Right, you know, and so you know, the launch angle means sixty-two home runs. All this other stuff means a whole an awful lot of strikeouts, and so so I think that um, the idea that we should definitely not be stuck in a rut and teaching the exact same stuff that we taught twenty years ago or that we learned when we were playing twenty or thirty or forty years ago is certainly a good point that Tom House makes. But I also think there's a little bit of room in this discussion for if it's not broke, don't fix don't it. Don't fix it, or if it's might not be the best way to do things that something still might work really well Could still be a good way right and what might work best for you might be something that doesn't work best for me and so if i'm if i'm constantly trying to force feed you to do the exact same things that i'm good at and you stink at it maybe something else would work better for you and so i think we have to kind of keep that part in mind too so the moral to the story is um, we want to be open-minded, but open-minded also means that just because I heard Mike Candrea say it at a hitting clinic doesn't mean it's the only thing that could possibly work. Or just because I heard Lisa Fernandez talk about it at a pitching clinic doesn't mean it's the only thing that could work. It probably works for an awful lot of players, and it's really good stuff, and it's really smart, but it should be part of an overall um, and, approach that we're using as coaches. And good coaching is about experimenting a little bit too, Tori, right? Yeah. We can experiment with different drills and different concepts and different approaches, finding which ones are best for the group that we've got. And I think that might be part of our plan too. Right. So hopefully that uh, gives all of our coaching folks something to think about. So Don, that's going to take us into our coaching tip of the week. The so last week in our coaching tip of the week, we talked about this idea that quiet teams are losing teams. Right. And yeah. I believe that wholeheartedly. 
But here's the flip side of it, and this is something I want all our coaches to ponder on. Coaches, we have got to change the culture of how we're being loud. We've got to change the culture within our teams and within the dugout and within this game in general because this whole idea so of... not just volume? No, and, and, and here's my, my thing. Cheering for the other team to do badly is not cheering. That's cheering for the other team to screw up is not in any way, shape, or form good for our team. Now, I think we get it's used not, to it because... Yeah, you know, uplifting or, right. yeah. One other team does it, or we heard somebody else do it. But I'm just going to throw this out there, and you can all, you know... Tell they me did what, it to us. Right, you can tell me what you think. I went to watch a couple of the kids I coached with playing a middle school game the other day. And anybody who's ever been to a middle school softball game knows that the chances of it being a good game or the worst hour and a half or two hours of your life are about 50-50. It's going to go both ways. You're getting one of those You're getting two. one or the other. Well, the game I went to watch, this poor girl on the other team, the pitcher, could not have thrown three strikes before four balls. He gave her a thousand. A million, a million yeah. dollars. Yeah. There's, there, it was never going to happen. And when the other team started with the ball five, ball six, ball seven. When she's obviously when struggling. When she's struggling. And yeah. so middle school, I think she was probably a sixth grader. So six is what, 12 years old? Yep. We're rooting for a 12-year-old to continue to struggle. We're, we're teasing trying. her about right. her struggle. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're adding more pressure and more embarrassment and more pain to the already painful situation that she's in. So then on top of it, it's not so bad that it's, for as bad as it is that it's the players. Don't even tell me. It's the grown-ass adults, the parents, are doing the exact same thing to a 12-year-old kid. Ball nine, ball nine. I mean... People, we've got to do better. And coaches, here's why I'm telling you, we've got to do better. You've got to start it's with your players. Starts, you've got to start with yeah. your team. And you've got to just make this a rule. We don't cheer for the other team to mess up, period. We cheer for ourselves. We cheer for each other. We pull for our own teammates. You know, We're supportive and loud and, and enthusiastic and doing everything we can to help support our team. But this ridiculous stuff that we're trying to add more pressure to a, you know, to a kid that, you know, in a situation where a player is already feeling it enough, it was just heartbreaking to me. That does. That makes me feel yucky too right now, Tori, because, uh, again, we want to have fun as a, a, a whole group, both teams, both families of parents and kids. And again, if we can't come together and, and play a game, be competitive, be excited about learning how to do that, but do it in a, a productive civil way is really sad. That's right. I had this discussion with one of the parents uh, the other day. I know we all want our kids to win. We all want to win every game that we play. But we also know that if you're playing against a team that's just overmatched, so the pitcher can't throw a strike, or their defense can't make a play, or their outfielders can't catch a fly ball, after it's all done and we've won 15 to 1 or you know 25 to 2 or whatever the ridiculous score is going to be on a day like that, Everybody's like, well, that wasn't even any fun. Uh, that, you know, I, I hate playing games like that. You know, it, it's, it's no fun at all. And obviously, if you won a game 25 to 2 and you thought it was no fun, right? how much fun do you think the team with 2 had? And then how can you tell me that it's no fun to win a game like that 25 to 2 and then be cheering every time the other team messes up on defense? To be right. cheering and adding pressure to the other team to try to increase the likelihood that your team's going to be successful. You and I both coached high-level softball, but there were still days that we would play a game, and for whatever reason, the game would just get out of control. And all of a sudden, you know, the other team, and it happened to our team a few times too, so it's, you know, it goes both ways. But something, it's just not your day. You know, and all of a sudden, it's 3-0, you 6-0, know, 9-0. You know, it's like you start to wonder, can we get enough outs to ever get to the run rule? Because you know we got to sure. you know, got to play four or five innings. You know we got to get twelve or fifteen outs before we can actually mercifully end this thing. But if you're on the high side of that, you're on the winning side of that. Cheering like crazy when the shortstop makes one more error, it just rubs me the wrong way. It's just it's yeah. it's, it's, well, it's sad to me. I mean, sports and and being a part of a team and doing all these things is about learning about life and sportsmanship. And like you said, it comes from the top. It starts with the coaches and they set the tone. They create expectations and share how things are supposed to be and and if they allow or or even promote anything like this the life lessons i think 
that we're we're sharing are are really skewed and we're losing something yeah. at that point, right? So, so coaches, here's what we're saying. This is the coaching tip of the week. Before your next game, you sit down with your team and you say simply this: We are going to cheer like crazy, but we are never cheering against the opposing team ever again. We're cheering for ourselves. We're pulling for our team. We're cheering for our teammates. We are not saying anything negative, anything derogatory, anything in a way to add extra pressure or to make it harder for them to perform. It's just that simple. Make it a rule and then enforce it. Now, however you want to enforce it is up to you. But if your players stop doing it, here's what I'm going to tell you. If the kids are not going ball five, ball five, guess who won't do it too? The grown-ass adults who should already know better. They should. Right? I know. So, and this is a, a story I've told before on this podcast, and, and I'm, I'm sure you remember the day because it was a game that we played against your team once upon a time. Uh-oh. There was a pop-up right by the dugout for your team. And as our player was getting close to the dugout, trying to find the fence and trying to find the ball and all that stuff, somebody on your team yelled, I got it. And a coach who shall remain nameless walked right up to and kicked the bucket right out from under the butt of the girl who yelled, I got it, and left her sprawled on the dugout floor, like, oh my God, what happened? And just looked down and said, we don't do that kind of stuff here. And that was the end of it. And, you know, for me sitting across the field, seeing a coach handle something like that, then, I mean, now obviously today, you know, that was 1990, whatever. That might not fly. Yeah. You, you probably would get fired if you kicked the bucket out from under some poor kid today because they'd sue you and everything else. But the message was really clear. We don't do that. And it stopped it right then and there. And, and we had been, I thought, doing a good job with our teams over the years of, of the same thing. You know, we want you to cheer like crazy, but cheer for us. But even at, even at the college level there, Tori, people are learning things and learning life lessons, and, and that, that's one of them. Right. You, know? and, um, you can try to cover everything and try and create a ma- an atmosphere that's appropriate and proper and productive for everybody, but yeah, we're forever learning, yeah. and, and that's just part of it. To your point here, Let's start with the young ones. Yep. Right. And, and, and so whatever age group you're coaching, just make it a rule. We cheer for us. No more negativity towards the other team. No more cheering for the other team to screw up. If the other teams, so let's say you hit a, you know, one of our players hits a four hopper to the shortstop and she kicks it and we're safe at first. Something like way to hustle, Don, way to get down the line, Don. Something like that. That's positive and supportive for you. That does not bring any more pressure because i can remember as an adult playing slow pitch softball when in a game uh, that i was not playing very well the other team started trying to hit it to me at second base and it was like i saw red it was like bull in the china shop i was like ready to you know ready to fight the whole team of course now i started playing better then because i got my attention so much yeah so we know stuff like that, you know, the competitive juices get flowing and everybody wants to win, but let's just do it with a little bit more class. Let's do it with a little bit more professionalism and let's start uh, tr- you know, treating our opponents the way we would like to be treated. Cause we're not that far away from it being our pitcher out there sobbing terrible state because the other team is ball sixing her. Then we don't like it very much because it's our team that's getting harassed. So let's just stop harassing each other and let's make time at the ballpark a whole lot more fun joyful for both sides right wouldn't that we, be nice we can still have a winner yeah but yeah you can win, win but but do it with class you know absolutely be, be, beat everybody's butt beat them 15 to nothing but beat them with class if their pitcher really can't throw a strike that's for them to figure out but you making it worse or embarrassing her more or making her feel worse there's a proper and classy way to win or lose. Right. And yeah. so that's what we're talking about. So that's our coaching tip of the week. So Don, that's going to wrap up number 236. As always, please support our sponsors, the Anderson Bat Company, Bidinger and Styles DDS, Elite Sporting Goods, and Pinnacle Power Products. Make sure that you go to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. Become a patron if you can. Go to fastpitchprep.com to order your square cuts training discs. You also have access to over 700 blogs, a YouTube channel, Obviously, tons of other information, and obviously that's where we want you to order your Square Cuts training discs. So for Coach Don McKinley and our producer, Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tori saying thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.